another edition of Queued Up. It is Monday, March 27th, 2023. So happy to have you all in here, wherever you are, however you are listening. I really do appreciate the support. As always, there was just so much going on in the world of sports over the weekend. You have March Madness, some NFL news, and of course, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball right around the corner. Just had my fantasy draft last night, and I got to say, my team looks pretty good, but I think everyone in my league thinks their team is really good, and I think anyone that drafts, whether it's fantasy football, fantasy basketball, baseball, they always think their team is really good until about three or four weeks into the season where you're like, oh, yeah, um, my team is not great at all. But we'll see. New season, as always. I'm just really excited to watch the Mets. The Yankees do have some news as well. We'll get into that, and I will get into a... Not a full MLB preview, but I will give you where I think the Mets and the Yankees will finish in their respective divisions, and then a little bit, a little more thoughts on how this season, I think, is going to go. But I do want to start with this Texas-Miami game. Of course, we do know the Final Four, FAU against San Diego State, and then Miami against UConn. UConn has had a whale of a time. In the NCAA tournament, they have been every team they have played by double digits. At least, I think it's 15-plus they have beaten everybody by. So, they really have not had a tough time at all. They blew Gonzaga out a couple nights ago. That certainly was pretty surprising to me. I was on Gonzaga. I thought that um, they were going to win against UConn. But, man, UConn is the real deal. And Miami, I got to tell you, I was on my way to church last night. This was around 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock mass, walking to church, and Texas was up by 10. They were dominating the game. First half, they were dominating. I think they were up by 8 at the end of the first half, and they were, um, I believe, at one point up by 12 or 14 points. So Texas was running away with it, and all of a sudden it got to 10, and I had to put my phone down because mass was about to start, and I was like, you know what? It's all right. I think Texas is still going to win. Texas, UConn, Final Four, really good matchup. Whoever wins that matchup will probably win the NCAA tournament. And even though Miami did win last night, it still looks that way. Whoever wins this matchup on Sunday, Miami and uh, UConn, they'll probably win the championship game because FAU, San Diego State, I don't think they're on that type of level. But we'll see. Anything can happen. Of course, if, you know, the NCAA tournament has taught us anything this year. It is that anything can happen. But put my phone down, had a great mass, didn't think anything of Texas Miami because I thought Texas was just going to run away. And the first thing I see after mass is a text from my girlfriend who had Miami winning over Texas in her bracket. And the first thing I see is a text from her with a red heart and a basketball emoji. And I was like, hmm, maybe she is proud of me because I beat her and we are also in her family's whole group chat and they were talking and I thought they were congratulating me on winning because Texas, I was the only one in our entire group that had Texas and if Texas won, then that means I probably won our entire bracket group and I thought that my girlfriend was texting me uh, basically just really proud of me because I won. But that was not the case. She was rubbing it in. She was saying how, you know what, we expected this all along. Miami was going to win and Miami, it turns out, they won, and I had to check the ESPN app, and yep, there it was. Miami not only wins, but they won by seven points in that second half. I don't know what happened to Texas. I actually went back 
uh, late last night and just watched those final seven or eight minutes that I missed. And Texas just, they were on a drought. Yes, they were without their star big man, and I think that hurt them a lot. But they were in control of this game, and they ended up blowing it. Miami, give credit to them. They're playing really good basketball. They played really good basketball all season in the ACC, and they continue to do so against some of the best teams in the country in Texas. Now, that Miami and UConn game, yeah, that's going to be a really, really good game, and I said it before, I'll say it again. Whoever wins that game will win the national championship, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I know a lot of people are on UConn, so I'll probably uh, maybe tend to favor Miami because I thought Texas all along was the best team in the NCAA tournament, and it looked like it for the first 30 minutes of that game yesterday, but something happened. Miami turned it on defensively. Isaiah Wong, Nigel Pack, two guys that were absolutely clutch and have been Throughout this NCAA tournament, granted, they are getting paid over $100,000 to play the game of basketball in college, which is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. But yeah, I mean, they're they're backed by this billionaire who went to Miami. He is the booster for them, and he basically bought himself a Final Four with those two players. Nigel Pack was recruited, actually transferred from Kansas State, and I don't know where Isaiah Wong came from. Maybe he's been on Miami all along, but there was an article saying how he was persuaded to stay in Miami with the money. Obviously, you're a young kid, 20, 21 years old. You have $100,000 staring right at you in the face. Who's not going to say yes and stay? But Miami's a really good team regardless of all of that. And I'm not just signaling out Miami because I know this probably happens throughout the game of college basketball and athletics now as we know it, especially after the NIL deals got approved and players can now start earning money for their name, image, and likeness. And you know what? That's a good thing to a certain extent. Now it's the wild, wild west where you know teams are basically recruiting or asking players off of other teams and just shoving a whole bunch of money in their face and bringing them to their respective team. That's just not how I envisioned this whole NIL deal, NIL situation going. I thought that maybe if a player wants to sign a few jerseys and get paid for it or sell some autographs, that's totally fine, and they should be able to do it. The fact that they were not able to do that even five years ago, six years ago, um, and all the way up until right now, it's just absolutely crazy. I mean, players should be able to profit off of who they are, but it should not turn into professional sports. And day by day, year by year, with this NIL deal going and without any restrictions on NIL and the certain amount of money that players can make, it's just going to turn into a glorified professional sports league. It's basically the NFL, but with 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds or the NBA, um, just on a lower level because there are some 18 and 19-year-olds in the NBA, but it's gotten to the point now where players can make more money in college basketball and college football than they would if they tried to go to the NFL or the NBA. So I think at that point, that is when it gets too much. But I was not expecting to go on this tangent on NIL. It was a great game between Miami and Texas. I thought Texas was the best team. And you know what? They're probably paying a ton of their players too because Texas, with the notoriety of that program, with the amount of alumni that they have, they probably are getting a ton for their boosters and NIL organization, whoever's in charge of that. But 
The other game going on yesterday, San Diego State and Creighton. Creighton losing on a last-second free throw attempt made because one of Creighton's point guards, he fouled a shooter on San Diego State with about, I don't know, 1.4 seconds on the clock. He made one of two, and that ended up being the game. So who would have thought San Diego State and FAU in the Final Four? I mean, I guarantee you there are probably some people that don't even know what FAU stands for. This is just absolutely crazy that this now basically confirms a mid-major will be in the national championship, whether it's San Diego State or FAU. One of those teams has to move on. I don't know who it's going to be, but one of those teams will be playing the winner of UConn-Miami. UConn-Miami was at least a little bit more believable at the start of the tournament. I know there were a lot of people that said UConn was going to win. I was really high on Miami. I was going back and forth whether to have them out in the Elite Eight, out in the Final Four. The truth of the matter is, if Miami was not playing Texas, then I would have had them in the Final Four as well. I thought they were one of the best teams, and it just sucks that Texas and Miami had to play in the Elite Eight and not in the Final Four or the National Championship game. But it just happens like that, and the committee sets up these brackets and these regions the way they are. But... Um, really good game, four really good games over the weekend, FAU winning on one of the last plays of the game as well, and then UConn just absolutely blowing Gonzaga out of the water. Big play in the game was at the beginning of the second half with Drew Timmy getting his fourth foul and then him being on the bench, and after that, it was a rout. UConn took advantage of not um, being against Drew Timmy, and that was all she wrote, UConn getting comparisons to some of the best teams ever in college basketball. And why wouldn't you even think that? Because they have steamrolled over everyone they have played. So it should be a really fun Final Four that is going to be on Sunday. Of course, on Friday, I'll talk a little bit more about the Final Four and my predictions for that because I still really don't even know who are going to win those two games. But Moving on to the NFL, Lamar Jackson releasing a letter today to the fans, basically saying that he requested a trade on March 2nd, and I took away from that. He's not going to be a Baltimore Raven this year. Um, I think his time as a Raven is over. And now the question is, what type of compensation are the Ravens going to get for Lamar Jackson, who doesn't have a contract right now? He's on the franchise tag. How much... How many first-round picks are going to be given up? And how much money is Lamar Jackson going to get? And remember, Jackson does not have an agent. So they have to negotiate directly with Lamar Jackson. And it just makes it a little bit more tricky just because Jackson now has to devote his time and effort into negotiating a deal instead of making himself better, getting himself in a really good shape. And now he's got to hear all these teams with a counter-argument as to why they shouldn't pay him that much money. So it's really just a tricky situation with these really high-profile deals. And really with any deal, you should have a third party negotiating for you just so you don't hear the other side bad bad-mouthing you. But that is part of the business, and Lamar Jackson chose not to have an agent. So he's paying the consequences for that, and he is on the verge of not getting paid or at least not getting paid what he thought he was worth. So we'll see how that plays out as Lamar Jackson has officially requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens. And again, 
another podcast and another podcast that Aaron Rodgers is not on the Jets. Joe Douglas did talk today in front of the media. I guess they're doing these owner meetings out in Arizona. And he said that Zach Wilson will be the backup quarterback to Aaron Rodgers. He didn't say to Aaron Rodgers, but he did say that Zach Wilson will be the backup quarterback. So kind of no surprises there, especially after the Jets lost Mike White. So now it'll be Rodgers. And then hopefully we don't see Zach Wilson at all this year. If we do see Wilson, that means Aaron Rodgers is hurt. So just a little bit, little blurb on the NFL. Now let's move to Major League Baseball right around the corner starts on Thursday. And in my last podcast, I did say that Major League Baseball started on Wednesday. I was wrong. It actually starts Thursday. Everyone plays on Thursday. And luckily this year, there isn't that, at least for the Mets and the Yankees, I haven't looked at anybody else, but there isn't that off day after the first game of the season. I thought that was the worst Ever since I can remember, the Mets would play, and then immediately after, they have an off day. But it looks like Major League Baseball has gotten rid of that, and every team will be playing on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is absolutely fantastic. There is no uh, you know, day after where you're just kind of bummed out because you just had opening day. You see your team win or lose, but it's just fun to see your guys out there, and then Friday, you have nothing. This year is different. The Mets will play the Marlins, the Yankees. They play the Giants. And there is some news regarding the Yankees. I know there was some expectation that, you know, IKF was going to be the shortstop coming into spring training. And then the Yankees were experimenting with him in center field. And then once that happened, it just came down to who was going to be the better shortstop. Was it going to be Anthony Volpe? their top prospect or was it going to be their number two or number three prospect and that's Oswald Peraza who we did see last year but the Yankees officially announcing yesterday that Anthony Volpe will be making the opening day roster that presumably means he will be the starting shortstop for the Yankees and I am kind of jealous of the Yankee fan now they get to see their top prospect 21 years old we've heard about him now for a couple years And he just adds some life to this Yankee team that is old. That's not too exciting other than Aaron Judge. And on the other side, you have the Mets. They announced that they have sent down Mark Vientos. They sent down Brett Beatty. They sent down Francisco Alvarez. And I just don't get it. Brett Beatty had a terrific spring training. And I just don't get why he is not the opening day third baseman, or at least on the roster for the New York Mets. It's just... You know, you have on the other on the other side of town, you got Anthony Volpe making the team. Not a lot of people thought he would make the team out of spring training, but he did. And now you have Brett Beatty, who everyone thought, yeah, he was going to be on the team because he's hitting really well, and now he's not. So it just kind of sucks. The Mets will go with Eduardo Escobar at third. And I do think now we're getting into the predictions here as we're running on the last about four or five minutes of this podcast. I think the Mets will be finishing in second place in the NL East. I think the Braves are better than them. And it actually, it took me a little bit to come up with where I thought the Mets were going to be. I definitely didn't think they were going to be number one. It was just a matter of where do I put them, number two or number three. Because remember, even though the Mets finished ahead of the Phillies in the NL standings last year, the Phillies still got to the World Series. So they've got that pedigree. They returned a lot of the players that they had last year. They also added Trey Turner. So it was kind of hard for me to say, you know what? I think despite that, 
the Mets are the better team. And I do think deep down the Mets are the better team than the Phillies. So that is why I have the Phillies three, the Marlins four, and then the Nationals rounding out the NL East in the cellar. I think the Mets, their biggest, my biggest worry for the Mets is the bullpen. Everything else I like. I like the starting rotation. Tyler McGill is going to be down in AAA to start because David Peterson did beat him out, so it's good to see. And Peterson, he had a heck of a spring training. 12 innings, one hit given up. Are you kidding me? I, He is finally going to get a chance, especially with that injury to Jose Quintana, and now he is going to get a chance. And if he pitches really well and Quintana comes back, then the Mets are going to have to make a decision Maybe do something with Carrasco. I don't know. Maybe someone else will be hurt. But Peterson's going to have to make it really tough for the Mets to make a move. So I think the Mets are going to be finishing in second place. I said their bullpen really worries me. I mean, there's, they, there's a guy that's projected to be on the Mets right now. Dennis Santana. He had a 5.5 ERA last year for the Rangers. So I, I don't know what this whole bullpen is going to look like. Hopefully I'm totally wrong. There are a lot of new faces so it's going to take a little bit of some time to get used to them, especially without Edwin Diaz. That stinks. Looks like David Robertson will be the closer. And the good news for the Mets is that he does have closer experience. But the rest of the bullpen leading up to David Robertson, I think it's going to look, it's going to be a little bit of a crap show for sure. It's going to be tough. They're going to rely on Scherzer, on Verlander, on Kodai Sanga, on Carrasco and Peterson to get them to at least the 6th or the 7th inning. Because if they don't, and you rely on the bullpen to pitch 4 innings or 3 innings, at least till you get to Robertson, that's going to be tough. As for the Yankees, I think they'll win the AL East. Not really going out on a limb there. They won it last year. I think they win it this year. The Rays will finish in 2nd place. And how about the Orioles? They are my dark horse team out of the entire Major League Baseball. I think the Orioles have a really young team, but a really good team. Gunnar Henderson, they got Adley Rutschman, who is probably going to be the best catcher in Major League Baseball in a couple years, and they have some good pitching as well. I really, really like the Orioles. The Blue Jays always falter. They always have high expectations, and despite who they have on that team, and they do have a really good offense, but I just don't think they'll be pitching enough. And then the Red Sox. The Red Sox will finish in last place in the AL East. Mark it down. They have a good offense. Yes, they lost Xander Bogarts. They have an okay offense, though. They just do not have any pitching whatsoever. I question whether they can catch the ball in the field, too. Trevor Story is out for almost the entire season. They got Adam Duvall, who did win a gold glove in I think, a couple years ago in Atlanta, but not as a center fielder. The Red Sox are going to be using him as a center fielder primarily every day, and I just don't see the Red Sox being able to play good defense or pitch well. So that's why I have the Red Sox in fifth place. And for the Yankees, yeah, they're going to win the AL East. I think it's not going to be particularly close. They're returning basically the same team that they had last year. They have Aaron Judge back and obviously Carlos Rodon, who adds to that rotation. I mean, what is not to like about the New York Yankees? Again, I think their bullpen might be a little up in the air, but the Yankees' bullpen, it just seems like they're always really good. So that's a little bit of a baseball preview. I'll talk more about baseball, of course, as the season gets started. Opening day is on Thursday. Enjoy that. I will be back on Friday to recap what happened the day before opening day, some news and headlines, and then, of course, to preview the final four in Houston coming up. Should be an exciting week. 
and I will talk to you on Friday.